Well, the, the, the most common wine, the most widely grown wine in Washington State is, is Riesling. Okay. And Saint-Michel is the largest producer in the world of Riesling. Oh, wow. And um, it's, it's somewhere over 50% of the grapes in Washington are Riesling grapes. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 111 of the Commando Voice. Today I speak with the founders of Edward Lynn Sellers. Please welcome Bill and Sandy Kintner. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak with Bill and Sandy Kintner, who are the founders of Edward Lynn Cellars, uh, which is a local winery right here on Camano Island. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, be sure to stop by and check it out. Uh, check out their website. A link is in the podcast description below. Uh, but they have events. Uh, they've got a, a tasting room. Uh, they sometimes have like uh, charcuterie boards or food truck things come out and uh, for their events. Um, so especially as we get into fall and, and things start getting a little bit wetter and colder like they are today, um, be sure to get out there and, and see what events they have because they've got a nice big room that's heated so uh, they can do events during the fall and the winter as well. So check them out. Uh, anyways, um, I got to speak with them and talk to them about their winery and kind of their hobby that's turned into a lot bigger hobby. Um, and so... Uh, I got to learn a lot about wine. I got to ask some dumb questions like I like to do when I am talking to people that are experts on something that I'm not. Um, but I had a great time learning about uh, all the things that they've, they've done with it. And um, yeah, uh, we've also, they've done some private tastings for my team here at the Marketplace because uh, we carry some of their wine here. And uh, they really produce some great wines. Um, uh, many of them are unique. Some of them are ones that you can't really find um, <clears throat> in many other places. Um, so I really enjoyed their Barbera wine, which is a red wine, uh, that work goes really well with, uh, pasta, like a red pasta and stuff. So really enjoy their wines. Um, so be sure to check out their winery and all that. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Bill and Sandy Kintner. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the founders of Edward Lynn Sellers. Welcome to the podcast, Bill and Sandy Kintner. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Bill and Sandy. <laughs> well, Bill and Sandy have been married for 44 years. We have uh, four kids, 10 grandkids. Uh, we had uh, eight of the 10 grandkids here last weekend. Oh, nice. For grandkids weekend. Yeah. Um, Actually went to junior high and high school together, but didn't start dating until after high school. Okay. So. Nice. Very cool. Where did you guys grow up? We grew up in northeast Seattle, uh, different parts of northeast Seattle, uh, but within the, the Roosevelt High School uh, community. Okay. Yep. Nice. So then you guys, you said you went to school together then? We did. We didn't really know each other that well till high school. Okay. Nice. And then where did you guys go, or did you guys end up going to college? We both went to college. Uh, we, we dated after we... Uh, uh, after we graduated from high school, we, um, I went to the University of Washington 
and and Sandy went down to George Fox for her first a year, year, a freshman okay. year, and, and then transferred to SPU because okay. the weekend trips were getting a little expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Emily went to George Fox, my assistant. Oh, she did. So she yeah. Was, yeah, she was there for quite a while. It's a great while. school. Yeah, she loved it. Yeah. Very cool. It's what do you guys cool. study in college? Uh, I was actually going into education. I uh, graduated with a degree in uh, urban planning, uh, School of Architecture. Um, it took me five years to get through, but because uh, <laughs> I was working full time at the, the same time, and, and then we got married in the middle of that too. So okay, so, yeah, <laughs> nice. So then, once you guys all graduated, where'd you go from there? Well, early on, we both had jobs in high school. Okay, before we even got that far, so we were both accustomed to working. Bill started out at that point in the grocery business pretty much put him through school and financed us. And I worked as an administrative assistant in an office for okay. a number of years. Um, and then that transitioned into him once we were moving up here and had kids and transitioned into, even what, 35 years as an appraiser now? 35 years as an appraiser. Wow. And I've been at the school district working for over 25. Okay. So that's where we both are now full time. Nice. Very cool. Um, was appraising something that you were planning on going into, or is it kind of you fell into it and kept going? Um, I, between leaving the grocery business, graduated from college, and getting into appraising, I was uh, uh, working for a property management firm, uh, so I was familiar with real estate, and we did some development, did some uh, uh, reconstruction, new construction sort of stuff. Um, but I was working for somebody else, and I decided to, uh, I needed to step out and, and, and work for myself and, and uh, become an evil capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So when it comes to, uh, like, doing that, do you have to, I mean, I'm sure there's certification and stuff, but as far as getting tied in with other groups and people like that, how was that getting started? Because I'm assuming when you get started, it's kind of difficult to just break into that market. It is. Education is required. Required and uh, today it's changed even more than than when I started. But I, I interned for a, a company for a few years and uh, then was able to take on uh, my own clients, and um, it's grown from there. And uh, you know the rules have changed uh, because of federal legislation many times since uh, 1986. And but I'm still here. I'm a, I'm a survivor in the appraisal business. <laughs> Very cool. Um, do you guys? Is it just you still within your company or your appraisal? Yeah, I've been. I've been. Uh, uh, the the company's uh, uh, subchapter S, and and I'm the only employee. Okay. Nice. All right. And then Sandy, you've been in the education system during this time. Yeah, I'm actually working in HR. Okay. At the school district. Got it. Was so. that your? Did because you, you were doing office administration? Where'd you kind right. of go? How did you get into where you are now? Uh, I took a break for a while when we when we had we have four kids. Okay. So I took a break for a little while. Yeah. And when I was ready to start back doing a little bit of something, I actually started in the PTA. Okay. So started out getting involved in the schools, and actually my first job at the district was the homeschool liaison. Okay. Back when that was a brand new thing. Yeah. For the school district to even be willing to have those discussions. Yeah. And then it moved on from there. So now I'm I'm a year round employee instead of just school year and doing a totally different realm okay yeah nice how was that uh kind of starting to bridge that gap to between homeschooling and public school uh it was actually really fun i have a lot of friends that were homeschooling and had acquaintances already 
And because I was a mom and I actually believe that all parents are homeschoolers to an extent, yeah. I totally understood the needs to be able to try to find the ways to gap, get bridge that gap, yeah. help get some curriculum, help start getting some some help together. Yeah. And those were in the days where you would have people say, you can't do that. And it was like, yes, we can. <laughs> so yeah, it was a kind of a fun thing to bridge that and have it into it. Now we've got the whole parent partner program. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, um, I mean, we've, we've got four kids as well. And I think we, you know, even within our four kids, it's like some of our kids will do fine. In fact, one of our kids is going to public school next year. Um, versus two of our kids, like, we for sure need them at home because just their learning style and stuff wouldn't work in the public school. So I just think every parent needs to be able to have that freedom to choose where they think their kids should go because they're the ones who know their kids the best. Absolutely. And there's so much more available now than there were 35, 40 years ago. I mean, you know, my eldest kids are now over 40. So there wasn't that much available then. Right. And they were kind of on the spectrum of their very well-behaved kids they were quite compliant and they were pretty skilled so that meant they didn't get a lot of attention in school yeah and ne- had needed some extra things yeah so yeah it's no it, bo- it's both ends of the spectrum that it totally has changed right yeah it completely blows me away the amount of different types of schooling that you can choose now across the board in these like hybrids of public and home versus private schools versus home schools but you still meet like Mm-hmm. So many options out there now. Yeah. So. And even the charter schools outside, outside of Washington are different. I have a daughter who actually um, started teaching in a charter school in Oregon many years ago now when she started her family. And I had no understanding really on what that meant at first Yeah, until I had some dialogue with her. And one of the kids that she had was on American Idol okay. and couldn't be in class. Another kid was a tennis player and couldn't be in a stationary yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it was an amazing thing to literally watch her online <laughs> interacting with these kids and checking for understanding. It was great. Yeah. A lot no, of options. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I think it's education has made some big steps and um, still a lot to do, but I think it's moving in a good direction yeah, for sure. I agree. Nice. All right. So <clears throat> um, you guys were doing this, um, then uh, been working with kids. Uh when, how did the winery idea come about? <laughs> well, we, we got our first taste uh, to wine tasting and, and wineries other than Washington back down in, in Napa and Sonoma back in 86 and, and enjoyed it. And we sort of enjoyed having a casual glass of wine here and there. Um, when our kids uh, started going to school, particularly the, the ones down in Oregon, uh, we would drop them off uh, for the hour and get them checked in and all that. And uh, then we went out and explored the Willamette Valley. Mm-hmm. Nice. And got to know the Willamette Valley fairly well. Part of that discussion actually started when uh, one of our girls actually was going to George Fox. And, you know, when you do your freshman orientation, there's a little bit for the parents to be involved in, mm-hmm. but not that much. Right. So we had some free time and started to go out and explore. And started the conversation then about it might be kind of fun to grow some grapes and do this kind of thing at our place. <laughs> um, our kids were all leaving, yeah. growing up and going to college. And so over a period of time, it was, I mean, that was probably another seven years down the road before we really kind of moved towards that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and then it was kind of like 
He's in an, in a real estate market that was in a very bad way in 2008. Right. And what is a middle-aged male going to do? <laughs> and nobody wanted him. <laughs> so we had conversations about, well, let's go ahead and at least it gives us something to do. And borrowed a tractor from a friend of our son's who's yeah. a farmer in Skagit. And actually started build, started clearing the area for the South Vineyard. And we had our family literally volunteered and helped plant once we could afford to buy some plants out of pocket and <laughs> get the first the south vineyard done totally backwards hand watered for the first couple of years then went and put in the lines and the poles so some of our <laughs> poles are crooked because they would hit rocks we didn't know were there we did it completely backwards but um it was certainly something that gave both of us something to do and look forward to instead of just stressing yeah about business that wasn't going very well during those years well, and at that time, too, it was we were thinking the vineyard for personal use sort of Correct. thing. Um, we, and after, that changed. Yeah. <laughs> after the Oregon, we, we found some good friends up in Woodenville, uh, Woodenville Wineries, and uh, uh, volunteered. Would, volunteered, would help bottle, would help label, would help, you know, do whatever it takes. And, and uh, finally, uh, about 2000. 12 some really good friends said uh, sort of kiddingly said you, you guys you guys know what you're doing go start your own winery and sort of kicked <laughs> us out of their winery and so. so well they let us still come help yeah. but they were really encouraging us saying we'll help you and so initially that was what got us off to do on our own um and so we were actually licensed November of 2014. Took okay. us took us about 14 months to get licensed. And opened in our two-car garage at that point in time and only had two wines to start with right. had a red and a pinot gris and right. that was it initially okay and that red was our first ed three red right which to this day we've had is this our fourth or fifth fourth vintage or fifth, yeah. and um, it's still one of our most popular wines okay so we lived in a two-car garage uh year round and and uh, put pop-ups up in uh, january and february with space heaters trying to keep people warm you know and and <laughs> We outgrew that, and, and the next step came to, to building the building we're in now, uh, which we opened uh, January of 2020, which okay. was not, not, <laughs> the, not the best time to open, but, you know, you can't control that. Right. <laughs> yeah. During that time of curbside only, we'd have wine club members who'd come to get some wine, but they go, can we just peek inside? Because we couldn't be open. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like we've all been waiting, and then we couldn't use it that way. Ugh. But we can now. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So when you guys were getting started then, um, <clears throat> how did you, like, did your friends from uh, Woodenville, did they help you with sourcing and get started on that, or had you already kind of helped on that? No, you, you know, when you get started out as a, as, as a winemaker, uh, you're, you're a small fish in a very big pond, and the first couple of years... Uh, we, we shirt-tailed with, with a couple of our other friends down there, and they introduced us. And it, it took uh, a year, two years for, for the, the vineyards to understand that we were legit and we wanted to do mm -hmm. this, and we paid our bills on time. And, <laughs> and, and that's now developed into... Uh, we, have, we have sourcing from Lake Chelan to Walla Walla. <clears throat> I don't know how many different places we source from and over I was going to count those up, and I haven't done that. But, but have a, have a good understanding and a good relationship with those people. And, and uh, uh, 
Um, that's, that's one of the fun parts of the business. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, I mean, coffee's a little bit that way, but wine, you get, it's very relational, especially the fact that you're actually working directly with the growers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're, well, you know, part of the process is not just making that relationship and getting it and all that, but like you actually have to go over there, right? Right. right. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot of trips there for a while. Yeah. yeah starting, uh, uh, pretty soon. End of August, first of September, I, I start hauling grapes back, and and they may run until uh, we've had them be as late as probably uh, Veterans Day in November, depending wow. on the season. Okay. Other times, like last year, we we were done uh, by the second week in October. Okay. So it just all depends on the vineyard and the weather, and you know, weather is is very localized, and it can be very different between different vineyards across mm-hmm. the state. Right. Just like it is here. Yeah. Well, last year, you got our last haul in right before they got the snow. Yep. We barely got our, is the cab, right? Yeah, it was a cab, yeah. Barely got our cab in before they s- got hit. We actually had snow in the past, which is, is a lot of fun to drive a big trailer in a truck, you know, <laughs> in the snow. So. Oh. Mm. so what does that whole day look like for you for, for picking up grapes? <laughs> um, it's, it's out of here at 4, 4.30 in the morning. Uh, I try to get to the vineyard early morning. Um, you know, Prosser, uh, Zilla area, I'm showing up uh, oh, 7.30, 8 o'clock. Uh, probably takes an hour to load and, and tie down, and then you're back on the road again. If everything at the vineyard's gone, gone well. Uh, <laughs> I've been there where we've had... If they had people come pick. Harv- yeah, <laughs> harvesters break down and, and people break down, and, and you don't get out of there until 1 or 2 in the afternoon. The, the biggest thing living here in, in this area is that you have to drive on the freeways. And it's always been sort of a goal of mine to get through the, uh, uh, the I-90-405 uh, interchange before 1, one 2 o'clock in the afternoon because that is such a tough intersection there. And yep. uh, you're driving with the Seattle traffic, and you know, you're sort of the farm guy with a trailer and a truck. And, yep. and with a lot of weight. And a lot of people don't recognize how much weight you've got. Yeah. That if they go darting in and out of traffic, you can't guarantee. It's a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> so far, so good. No So accidents. far, so good. <laughs> Not because people have been smart all the time around us. Yeah, right. So. But then, then we come back here, and it's Sam back here by, by 2, and it's, it's a good hour to unload and get ready. Um, on, on the white grapes, uh, they go directly into... Uh, uh, the press, and we do a whole berry press on those. Um, uh, that'll be first. That'll be sort of new for us this year because in, in the past we've we've taken many of our white grapes down to Woodenville and had them pressed down there. Uh, but this last year we were able to buy a, a new a new press, so we'll be we first time that this Step year. Step ourselves. The reds go through a crusher, um, and then whites and reds go into fermenters. They sit for 24 hours. Um, you uh, inoculate the wild yeast uh, and then ferment the the must and and let it do its thing. Okay. So, so going back then, what is the is it whole berry press? Mm-hmm. Yes. What is that? Can you explain that a little bit? Well, whole berry press uh, detaches the the juice from the skins and uh, any other stems, leaves that you have going through there. And, and on your whites, um, you know, it, it's the color, it's the skin that adds the color to the, to the gray or to the juice. Okay. So by eliminating contact with, with uh, the, white, the white juice grapes, oftentimes they have a rosy skin. 
you're eliminating the color that goes into the juice, and that's how you get a white wine. Okay. And, and reduced amount of tannins. Okay. Because your red grapes, you're keeping, you're, you're crushing and distemming them, which is making them just get kind of squashed a little bit. You aren't totally, you know, assaulting them. Okay. And then they are sitting in that fermenter all in all together okay. with all of the grape itself, the the skins and the the inside, and that sits for anything from five days to several six, weeks. Yeah, six weeks depending on the the wine. Okay, for the red wines. Got it. But your whites, you don't want the skins on. You're not, you're looking for something different with your white wine. Yeah. And the same with the rosé. The, the rosé that we have out right now is a Mavedre rosé. Uh, Mavedre is the um, uh, third, uh, by volume, the third most grown grape in Italy. Okay. Um, and although we don't get our grapes from Italy, uh, there's, there's um, a few vineyards in, in Washington, not many, that use it. And it's used mainly as a blending grape. We, we take another direction with it and make it actually as a 100% standalone variety. To get the rosé... Um, you, again, eliminate the exposure of the skins to, to the juice, and that gives you the rosé color. If you were to let it go all the way through, if you were to treat it like a, a full red grape, you'd have a very dark wine, uh, almost Syrah-colored, uh, okay. dark, deep, dark purple. So our rosé is, is turned out sort of peachy this year. Um, it, uh, before filtering, it was a little bit darker, uh, but uh, it, it's, it's our rosé, and it's selling well. Nice. Okay, I've got a really dumb question um, because I like to ask those sometimes. Um, what happens if you were to do um, the like the red process with a white grape or vice versa? Like if you used a red grape that you normally make a red out of and you did the white wine process. That, that's where you'd end up that's with That's where rose. your rosé is. Okay. But you're asking also what if you took the white and left it all together and did it like the red wine process? Yeah. That's uh, going to be not really a white wine anymore no. unless, the co- unless the skin had absolutely no color. So you're going to have sort of a funny colored wine, and it's going to be more astringent from the tannins. Right. Okay. It's not going to be as soft and even something you know, the, sweet. The Viognier and the Riesling they would get are, are both uh, you know, white, green meat and skin, so you really don't have any red color in those. Um, and, the, and the same as Pinot's that way. Um, yeah. I don't know of any white grapes that have much tint. I mean, our, our Zigarabi that we have, um, it has, it gets sort of a red-orange um, tint to it. It's not a solid color by any means. And, and we've run that through the, the crusher and done that process okay. to it. And it doesn't add any color to it. So okay. it still comes out white juice. Yeah. yeah. So then on the red wines then, would they just be a lot lighter red if you ended up doing that? Because is the juice of a red grape, is it... Is it red? More red-ish? It's more red-ish. They okay. vary by the skins and the, the meat varies by varietal. Okay. Um, as well as the thickness of the skin. You know, we have a lot of, we have several uh, Western Washington grown uh, red grapes, um, Norton being one of them, but it, it's very thick-skinned. Whereas a Pinot grape uh, is, is very thin-skinned and... Uh, uh, is real susceptible to to bugs and whatnot, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the season. That's why you don't see a lot of it around here. There is some in the Skagit Valley that, that people grow. Okay. Right. Nice. But that's one of the reasons, like this, the the 
the skins are different colors as well. Even though they look real similar, the Syrah is much darker than the Merlot or the Cab because the Syrah grape skins are darker. Okay. So it gives you a really dark colored wine. Yeah. Okay. And <clears throat> what are the most, or I guess what are the more common Washington wines? And then what are the ones that you guys are able to grow at the vineyard? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the most common wine, the most widely grown wine in Washington State is, is Riesling. Okay. And, and San Michel is the largest producer in the world of Riesling. Oh, wow. And um, it's, it's somewhere over 50% of the grapes in Washington are Riesling grapes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, there's, there's different varietals within that, you know, the, the generalized Riesling category. But it's, um, I, I believe they're upwards of, was it two million cases a year of yeah, Riesling? I, I think was, that was, was just, it's, it's huge. You might, you might double <laughs> check that. Crazy. Just fact check that for me. But <laughs> yeah. I believe that's what I read. Um, we grow a, a Zigarabi and a Madeleine Angevine. We have a little bit of um, Chardonnay Sauv- planted. Sauvignon. Excuse me, Sauvignon Blanc planted. Um, and it's, it, it has, that Sauvignon Blanc has, has taken a long time to mature. The Zigarabi is, 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 Pretty much a, a Washington, Western Washington grape. From, uh, probably grows Bainbridge Island, uh, Victoria, BC, and then a little up in that um, Penticton area uh, across the border in Canada. Cool climate. Uh, it's a cool climate white grape, uh, originally sourced from uh, northern Germany. Um, one of its parents is Gewurzmer, and, and, and the other parent is, is Madeline. And is Madeline Angevine or Madeline? I can't remember which one it is. Anyway, it's a cross. Okay. Um, it, it's routinely ready to harvest um, uh, Labor Day weekend for us. Okay. Um, Give or take, but pretty close. Yeah, the Madeline is a little later uh, harvesting, uh, which, like last year, uh, the temperatures dropped off right at Labor Day weekend, and, and the Madeline never never made it to, to bricks. It, it, it was down 17 18%. Oh. And uh, so that was just sort of a lost harvest. Oh, wow. Last year got real cold real fast. So the birds had a feast. So the reds, Washington grows a lot of varietals, and um, pretty much most of the common reds are pretty available in Washington. Okay. Your Cabernet, your Malbec, your Cab Franc, uh, most of those are pretty, pretty common. I, be, I believe by volume, uh, liquid volume and, and tonnage, uh, we're the number two producer in the United States behind California and, and actually ahead of Oregon on. Uh, Oregon's number three, New York is number four mm-hmm. okay. um, by state. So that's, that's been pretty, pretty routine for the last many Several years. Several years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, of the, the grapes... Um, out of the wine grapes, I'm sure you guys get to taste them as grapes and then as wine as well. Is there ones that, because obviously in the store, like we just get the normal, for the most part. We totally get different taste. Yeah. So like, are, <laughs> are there any of the wine grapes that you're like, man, these are really like, people should try these just because they're very different or like they're, they're fun to eat or whatever. I would say that about most of them with the exception of understanding they're very small. They have seeds and the skin is really thick. Okay. So, like, I will taste them all, and often I spit the seeds and the and the uh, skin. Okay. Because it's so thick. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's okay, but it's like, I don't really want to do the work to chew that up enough. Right. That's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. But the meat of the grapes is really good. Much, much different. Sweeter. Yeah. 
than you, table grapes? Your, your it's Thompson, interesting. Your Thompson table grapes run about 13% bricks, 13% sugar. Um, our Ziggurabi is low. routinely is 20, 21%. Okay. Um, on the red grapes we pick up, you know, we're looking for that Cabernet in there about 23, 22, 23 right in there. We've had some Merlot that's gone much higher uh, up in the 26 range. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're twice as sweet as your, yeah. your grocery store grapes at that point. Okay. And it, it's fun to pick Ziggurabi, and we've done this with, with people, and we've had over for dinner, and you put a, a bunch of Ziggurabi grapes <laughs> on them, and they think, wow, there's, there's, there's sugar, they're sweet. Yeah. <laughs> they're totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what are your guys' favorite Washington wines? <laughs> you mean, like... Other wineries type Washington wines well, both. or so, specific? Yeah. Both, okay. uh, first of all, I guess, the first question I guess would be, what Washington wineries, other ones that you guys have really there, enjoyed? There are lots. So um, Patterson is one. Um, John Patterson down in John in Patterson, Patterson Wineries. And, well, they've got one, and they've got a taste room in Leavenworth, too, and down the Soto area. Um, Barrage, which is also in Woodenville. Um, Pondera. Um, we talked about a couple of these. One of the ones that we've gotten acquainted with that we like to is Zerba. Zerba. Alma V, which is a tasting room in Woodenville. They're actually out of Walla Walla. Really, really uh, modern tasting room over in Walla Walla, but uh, yeah. growing good grapes, good red grapes. Yeah. There's, um, I mean, there are a lot of really good Washington wineries. Yeah. Lots. Nice. Yeah, I remember I talked with uh, Lynn Ayers, um, and they ha- they ran a little uh, wine shop, actually here in the marketplace before it was the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And um, she used to, I mean, her and her husband Jim, they're back down in California now. We used to come. Yeah, yeah. We used to come all the time on Friday night. Yeah, and they were saying, uh, you know, everyone talks about the Italian and the Californian wines, and they're like, but I think Washington has the best wines, and they they just loved a lot of the Washington wines that that were in this area. Yeah. In that's, fact, there, that's where we had the idea of we do usually a couple times a month. We do a Friday, what we call Friday night wind down and catch up. Okay. Which is we'll do a Friday. We'll be open on a Friday evening. And usually I've made arrangements to have some charcuterie boards available. But that was a takeoff of we used to meet up with our adult kids when Jim and Lynn were doing that. Yeah. And meet up and do wine tasting and then go out on the patio out here. Yep. And just sit and kind of catch up on what was happening in everybody's lives. Yeah. So that's kind of what took us into yeah. the idea of doing our Friday night wind down catch up yeah. night. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. In fact, Lynn and Jim's old couch is sitting in our leather couch. It's sitting <laughs> in our, our winery. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. I think... Um, I love the, uh, and I'm just more recently, I'd say, been st- trying to get more into wines and understanding more. Um, you know, with the coffee business, we, my, my dad was in that, and so I tried to learn a little bit about coffee growing up. Um, and then, um, but my dad never enjoyed, like, he doesn't like beer or wine or anything like that. Um, so I started getting into beers, um, and wines were always difficult because, like, they're, it's a very big world and a little bit intimidating at times. So. I would usually just be like, oh, I'll just stick to beer. It's easier. But, um, yeah, I've been trying to get more into the wine world. But, I, again, I love that relational aspect and that even wineries, like, I, I think there's probably this with breweries. I just haven't looked into it. But I feel like with wineries, there's never a competitive nature between wineries. They're not like, oh, don't go to them because they're, 
like they're always very you know relational working together and very positive mm -hmm. of like you need to go check out this winery too yeah absolutely we found that even before we actually had opened that people were always really good about oh if you really want a good merlot go over to so and so they have a great merlot or yeah they're very willing to share when we started, we found that they were so willing to help us figure out what we needed to do differently or change or or even we were on our way home from doing something, coming home with a first Pinot Gris and Bill had a phone call with one of them saying, okay, now I've got this, but I think I have to do something else first. Am I missing it? So they're just, they're awesome. Well, we had our crusher breakdown. Oh, yeah. Uh, one time. and Literally and, in the middle of crutching. Yeah, I called Ryan up, and, and you know he volunteered his crusher, went over and picked it up and, and used it. And Let us borrow his that's, crusher. In our level of things, and, and we're on the small end in terms of production, uh, of sort of that, that middle group you know, between the Saint-Michels and the, the home wine growers. Um, but we've found that everybody is willing to to give you a hand, and it, 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 as you said, it's, it's relationships, and, and that's been a really fun part of this mm -hmm. business, yeah. Yeah, very cool. So then as you guys have re-been able to actually open up the whole new building and get events going, how's that been going and, and everything? How's the response been? Awesome. We need to be open a little bit more than we are. <laughs> I, get I get phone calls every day of the week now. Okay. When people are wondering if we're open, so it's kind of hard to help for them to understand. It's kind of our hobby gone wild, and I still have a full-time job. So um, that's a great thing because we really would like to move towards being open more. Yeah. But, um, it, it's, it's been a good thing. We started getting the music back in on some dates, and that has been so well-received. Yeah. People are so ready to get yeah. out and do something fun. Yeah. And um, we are kid-friendly. Yeah. So that really helps. Like even a couple of one of the groups that we have, um, their drummer has got little kids. Okay. And his wife was so excited because they could come yeah. and watch dad play and oh, listen nice. to them. And because they can't at most of the places right. where they play. Of course. Yeah. So um, that part's been really fun. Have the little kids out there dancing. Some of them are a lot better dancers than their parents. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's been a really good thing. It was a patio we almost didn't put in yet because it was going to cost some extra money, but we did, and I'm so glad because it's been a great vehicle for people to be able to sit around and share. Yeah, and we've had we've had different types of music. We've had you know uh, we've had the rock and roll and um, you know rock radio will be here middle of of August August twenty first. Twenty first. Uh, we had a country group. Uh, we had the Dizzies, which plays uh, throughout Skagit. <laughs> they're a little bit of everything, a little bit of rock, a little bit of country, a little bit of blues. Call themselves Rockabilly. And, okay. And, uh, We've had uh, some just plain, simple guitar. Just acoustic guitars yeah. in the background sort of thing. And, and so it's, it's been really well received. And we're looking to carry that over, probably unplug indoor on, on some stuff this, this, uh, this fall maybe now that we have some room that we didn't yeah. have before yeah so well and that's great i think one of the biggest things as i mean during summer um i'm always pro just more events going on on the island because i one it helps everyone but two like <coughs> people are just looking for things to do yep. and get out but especially as you move into that fall winter time like there are no good indoor spaces just going like be able to play music and hang out drink wine Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you guys are able to open that up during that time, I think it's going to be really well received because I just think people, you know, kids go back to school, 
parents are trying to keep up with everything that's going on. They're like, I just need to go. We just need to have a date night. Yep. Right. Um, exactly. Those date nights are important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love that. I love the design of the inside of there. It feels really, um, you know, it, it's got a great feel to it. Um, Thank you. It feels welcoming, but it's also like that industrial kind of feel. Yeah. Because yep. it um, is definitely also the production facility. Yes. <laughs> so I got to be able to clear everything away and, and uh, do what we got to do to get, get the wine made, but still be comfortable when we're drinking. You know, and it was, it was nice. The, the floor is heated, so. Oh, nice. Know, we're, we're mid-60s during the winter times when there's snow and ice on the outside. We're still fairly warm inside, and uh, we make it comfortable. Yeah, that's great. So how much wine do you guys produce on an annual basis? We're right, right in the 1,000 case okay. uh, space right now, yeah. Nice. And how much percentage-wise of that, or is most of that uh, non-estate? Correct. Yes. Okay. Probably We probably produce about, what, probably a couple tons off of our acreage. Okay. And then probably bring in about, what, 13? 13 tons. 13, 14 tons. Okay. Okay. So that's still a pretty good, though, amount. Yeah. Like that you guys oh, are able plenty. to grow. Oh, it's plenty. And it's yeah. just you guys, right? <laughs> it's just us. Yeah, the, the vineyard is, is really maintenance intensive. Because, and uh, it's been really frustrating this yeah. last year and a half with COVID, but. The grapes need to be be pruned, probably at least four times a year, before the before <laughs> it's not harvest. Happening yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Nice. So, is it something? Um, are you guys looking to just continue to keep it just with you guys, or are you looking to bring on people to try and make it so you guys can be open more often? Uh, the ultimate goal, you know, we've 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 had volunteers that help us out both in production as well as in the tasting room, and that's where pretty well but if, if we're going to open more dates we'll probably have to bring on at least somebody on, a, on an as-needed part-time basis to, yeah. to help us out yeah um we, we we need to do that with the vineyard too and and, and uh, you know i'd probably try and find an intern out of uh, uh one of the community colleges as a anology program uh, and see if we can get them to help us out with pruning. Yeah. Because the pruning just conflicts with our day jobs. Yep. It just, it just <laughs> as yeah. our day jobs conflict with the pruning, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, in other years, I could work earlier hours, come home, and at least have the afternoons. With COVID, I'm working so much this last couple of years. Yeah. That that's not happening. Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, everything got turned upside down with COVID. Yes, it and did. The school I'm system so in particular. ready to see that in the back mirror it. not yet <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get there we'll get yep. there very cool so of the wines that you guys produce what is each of your favorite wine that you guys produce <laughs> one each or uh-huh. or if you got the couple that you <laughs> well like, that's really kind of hard yeah go ahead well i, I know what yours is i i've always been sort of the big red the the cabernet the our ed through red has has been just uh, uh really just sort of the the go-to wine for all occasions um, the Syrah that we've got on the table right now is probably my favorite. It, it was a 91-pointer uh, Seattle Wine Awards this year. It's a dark black wine, and it's it just it, it's a really good tasting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, as a whites, uh, our new Chardonnay is is probably what I would go to right now. We're almost out of our, our double gold Viognier, um, but that was pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I normally am definitely the red wine drinker. And probably, I would say Ed 3 has traditionally been my favorite red, kind of like an A-kicker. Um, but right now, I'm really drinking the Mervedre Rosé. 
Okay. Which I'm not normally a rosé fan, and I'm not normally really fond of anything that's got a little bit of sweet flavor to it. But it's got such a unique flavor that right now, if, if there's several things open, that's what I'm choosing. Yeah. Well, that one, uh, we got to taste that when uh, some of our team got to taste mm-hmm. at your winery. That one was very unique. Like, I've yeah. never had any wine yeah. like that. It's really different. Um, it was really good, though. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. yeah. I'm afraid it's going to be gone way faster than I want it to be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Um, another question I had, just because it's, it's one of the things that so many wineries and stuff, they have it, they, they talk about the point system and everything. Do you submit, like, all of your wines to get pointed? How does that system work? No. That would be uh, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, traditionally we've just been submitting to two different wine competitions, Seattle Wine Awards and uh, Northwest Washington uh, Beer and Wine Festival up in Bellingham. Um, there are other mm-hmm. competitions that go out there. Typically you're sending wine off for tasting as well as a fee per each wine that you're sending them. So you're, you're actually providing them at least three bottles of each kind of wine that you want them to look at. Right. So for us, that's kind of cost prohibitive that's to go yeah. through a lot. Yeah. So we'll usually choose a couple, three, yeah. and submit the ones that we kind of think are standouts. Okay. Because we can't afford to send all of them. Right. And, and just like you and I, uh, or any of us sitting around the table... Um, our taste buds are all different, very unique. Yes. And you can send a wine and score high to one competition, and you can send the wine up to another competition, and they go, eh, it's average, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's just who's on the panel and who's tasting. Yeah. The sommeliers have different palates, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the things with wines that I've really, um, like, when I was looking at the wine and trying to learn all about it, it was one of those things where it's like, but it's kind of... Just based on your palate, like what you enjoy. And, and sometimes you enjoy the, the $10 bottle of wine. Sometimes you enjoy the 50 or higher bottle of wine. But, you know, it kind of depends on you. And, and sometimes it depends on you in that day. Like I do that with coffee all the time where there'll be days I come in. I'm like, does the coffee taste off to you? And I'll ask everybody. And they're like, no, no it's fine. But it was off to you, It's right? off to me. <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, okay, it's something yep. I did. But yeah. That's why often when we open a bottle, whoever's opening it will taste it. And if it, and we'll, we'll, we'll ask each other, and sometimes it'll be, oh, yeah, there's something not right with that. But most of the time, one of us is going, no, it's okay. The other one is just having an off day. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's definitely, I feel like that happens with us every once in a while when I do that. So, mm-hmm. um, Okay, the other question I had is, where does the name Edward Lynn Sellers come from? It comes from our middle names. Uh, I am William Edward, and Sandy is Sandra Lynn. So okay. We chose those names. Um, <laughs> we we went round and round and round when we uh, and, and had input from our kids. What the, nobody liked the idea and rolled their eyes at Kittners Vintners. <laughs> and I can understand why, but I we like were trying one. to come up yeah. with something. And we knew if we did something with BS sellers, although it would be <clears> fun, it would cause us major problems down the road. So yep. we tried some different things, and we ultimately that's what we finally came back to. Okay. Very so cool. both both Edward and Lynn are our middle names, yes, but they're also other family members, our kids, parents, et cetera, that also have those same middle names. Okay. So they're both family names. The family names. The Ed Three Red is is named after the three generations of Edwards with middle middle names Edwards. Okay. So. Nice. Very cool. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. 
So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? <laughs> we were laughing about this. This is really dorky, but it was like 17 bucks, and it's a game. He told you last weekend was grandkids weekend. Yeah. And we were doing kind of a, um, a boating and... Um, nautical theme. Nautical theme. And yeah, we were learning how to use compasses and how to tie knots. And I picked up a game called Don't Rock the Boat. Okay. And it is, I thought, oh, this is going to be a bust. And it was so much fun. And all the kids from four to 14 had a gas planet yeah. because you have to put different pieces on and keep it from tipping yes yeah we, we had it do you yeah we had a gas with it so i would say that for the money that was the best thing i spent 15 or 16 bucks on. <laughs> so yeah a lot of laughter over that very cool yeah I, I don't think our kids played that correctly they just like throw the stuff on and fall i know <laughs> <laughs> all right uh pretend you have a friend coming from out of town what would their first day look like here well Depends on the weather. It depends on the weather. <laughs> right. But assuming you didn't want to drive very far, you'd want to stay local. And um, uh, honestly, the first thing I would do, I, I'm, I'm, I love my coffee in the morning. So I would, I would come down here to the roaster and get a cup of coffee and, and show them what uh, happens in the roaster on Camino Island. Um, we've got a great environment around here. Yeah. And, I mean, there's so much nature and beauty around here. Uh, I think I would go up like to English Boom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I might try and arrange a family member to take us out on a, a small cruise around the island. So we can say, get uh, a viewpoint from the water. From the yeah. state park. Um, Probably head down to Iverson. Yeah. yeah. Iverson Beach. It's Great beautiful down there. there. I mean, part of it depends on are they from around the northwest or not. Right. Because that does make a big difference. If yeah. you're not from around here, this is just stunning, and people just have yeah. no idea what yeah. belongs here. But I'd probably, and then we'd, that would take a good deal of the day, right. and I'd probably hit Christie's Lumpia and nice. order dinner and probably go back to the winery and get our rest of our family over because we love having our family get together and just have some dinner with Christie's Lumpia and some wine and just nice. kick back and relax yeah. more than anything else. Very cool. Yeah. Sounds really good right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. She does an awesome job. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's an interesting or fascinating person in this community that should, I should interview next? Well, we, we both agreed that, that maybe your dad, Jeff, would be an <laughs> interesting guy to interview. Um, yeah. If you haven't done that, you probably should. Yes. He's done a lot. I mean, he's yeah. pretty he's, amazing. He's, uh, he's been involved in many things. <laughs> the other person, a uh, good friend of ours, would be J.P. DeBoer and, and, and his, his family. And his boys. His boys. Okay. Um, you know, J.P.'s a realtor here. And he's a great realtor, but he's also he's goes a, to Alaska and fishes. He's a and fisherman. his boys go with Okay. And so, like, now they're older. They just graduated from college, and they actually are kind of starting to take over part of the boat. I think it's fascinating Yeah. that they do that kind of a thing together. They don't get so pissed off at each other when you're yeah. working like that. Yeah. And I, I think it's an amazing thing that they have that relationship and manage to pull that off. That's great. He, he's, just, he's a neat guy with a big personality and, and, and lots of practical jokes. So Yeah? He's, he's a good guy. Sounds good. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old selves? <laughs> yeah, do this one. You got me too. Do yours. I'll do mine. I, I said <laughs> um, live every day to the fullest because time goes by so quickly. Uh, remember who, are, who you are becoming is greatly 
affected by the books you read and the people you associate with. Mm. And mine would be to remember that who you are becoming is greatly affected by the books you read and the people you associate with. So choose carefully. Yeah, that's very cool. It is, um, you know, I talked to, or I, I listen to different podcast stuff, and one of these, one of the guys I listen to um, is very long-term thinking. Like, he's, he's to the point where he thinks about, okay, if I read this many books per year, that means between when I now and when I die, I probably have this many books. So I want to pick very carefully what I'm reading. That's right. And um, I, I think it's a good reminder because we all just kind of let life happen. Um, I mean, with kids, with books, with relationships. Especially at 20. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, I think it's a good yeah. reminder to live with a purpose. Yeah. And I think the other thing is choose people that you value and, and want to emulate rather mm-hmm. than um, at, at 20 it's really hard. Sometimes yeah. you end up with some friends that are kind of there, but they're not really that value system that you're going to want to do for the rest of your life. And for us, at 20, we were getting married. Yeah. And at 21, you know. <laughs> we had twins. Not at 21. <laughs> you just no, got married at 20. 23. Yeah, 23. Yeah. Okay. Not that fast. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it's um, when I look back at some of the influences that impacted my life, little did I know how much of an impact they were having. And yeah. thankfully, they were good ones. Yeah, yeah. Could have easily been different. <laughs> right. Well, very cool. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, you for having thank us. Thank you. Yeah. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Bill and Sandy for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to tomatocommons.com slash podcast. That's tomatocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Peace.